there something in your past, maybe like maybe one of these defining mistakes that you made that you kind of revisit every now and again? Now, I'm not saying going, oh, don't look beside you go, we should marry someone else. Okay, don't want any of that. I, I don't have time for marriage counselling this week. Okay, don't do that. But it might have been something, oh, I wish I'd bought that house when it was a lot cheaper. Or I wish I'd studied harder in school so I, I wouldn't be working the job that I am now. Uh, I, uh, you look back and go, I wish there was that moment in time I, I did that instead of this. Or, uh, uh, and, and so all of a sudden you, you, you revisit it all again. And sometimes you go, I wish I could go back and change that one thing. And, and, or maybe it's more than one thing. There's a movie out, um, oh, a long time ago now. Um, I think they've even made a TV series now called Frequency. Now, bit of a sci-fi mystery sort of action movie um, and basically the premise is is that there was a, a fireman can't remember his name and one day he goes into a fire and he makes the wrong choice and he dies in the fire and then many years later his son who's still dramatically affected by it um, all of a sudden there is the aurora borealis and he's able to connect the ham radio from the future with the one in the past and they're able to communicate and once he realized who it is he said oh hey dad tomorrow instead of going the fire don't go this way instead of that way and all of a sudden he changes the past and his dad's alive but in so doing he changes the other things about the past and and and, and that's sort of where the movie leads and and it becomes this story of like okay getting to a point where you're happy in life. And so sometimes we, we can live with the regret of those past mistakes. Um, some, for some of us, they're like, they're deep entrenched in our life. I heard that so deep. Maybe someone's done it to us. Um, someone has, has, has walked out of our lives. But sometimes we can look back and go, that moment is always, and we say this to ourselves, is always going to impact who I am today and into the future. Now, for those who are anyone, see, this is not really an Australian thing, but baseball is at least known by us as Australian. And most of us would have heard of Babe Ruth, and most have heard the name. And Babe Ruth was was a famous baseball player. He, um, big guy, he swung hard and and he missed a lot of balls, but he hit a lot of balls out of the the um, the park as well. And basically. And back in 1919, uh, the owner, Harry uh, Frazee, made the decision to sell Babe Ruth from the Boston Red Sox to the New York, New York Yankees. And basically, many of the Boston Red Sox blame that decision, that action, that point in history that brought about an 86-year drought of winning any championships. They sort of said, oh, it's because Babe Ruth was sent away that we have lost for the past 86 years. Now, Babe Ruth was dead and gone by this time. New players have come in, but they still look back to that one moment that defined their presence up until 2004 when they finally won. For 86 years, they bore the burden of believing that could never get past their past. Um, but our past doesn't just weigh us down in sports. Um, as I said, we could point to some mistakes, some decisions, some things that have happened to us. Some decisions are just honest mistakes that do not have many consequences, while others have devastating effects that last for years. Though we cannot change our past, even if we'd love to, 
we can ensure that our past does not control our present or our, uh, or our future. And the Gospels are full of stories of individuals with shady pasts. Like you read the Gospels and you can see people, if their past was a requirement of being perfect, they're in the wrong book then. Like you, you go through, you've got Matthew, you've got, um, um, you've got like the, the whole list of them. They are just people that have lived their life and all of a sudden they get into this mix up here or, or this fight here and, and, and they come to Jesus and we've got prostitutes, we've got tax collectors, we've got other people who have a life, they have a history. You know what we mean? I've got a bit of a history and you kind of go, when you're talking to the police, they've got a bit of a history. All of a sudden, that's not a good thing when police say that about you. Like, oh, that person's got a bit of a history. And you go, ooh, that's what would have been said about a lot of uh, individuals in the New Testament. And we speak about the the transforming power of Jesus' selfless sacrifice on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the grave. And when people place their trust in Jesus, they were different. They were forgiven and they were made new. And it's the greatest news of all of our decisions. Even though they've caused guilt and change, they can be nullified by Jesus' love. And we see this in in 2 Corinthians, what our hands read to us this morning. Looking at verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is, (laughs) is here. The old is gone, the new is here. It does not say, and I think this is where we get trapped, it does not say the old is improved. I think that's what we, some of us hope for. God is, God is going to take this mess and he's just going to put a band-aid here, a cover of paint here and patch us up and we'll live a better life than what we used to live. And, and, and the thing is, that's still a, maybe a huge step forward, but we are still stuck by the things that we have done. They are still scars and, and pain and hurt. Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to, to improve the old. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus is not a, a, a handyman that sort of renovates us. He transforms us. He makes us into something new. And that's our first point this morning. When it comes to like letting God's love reign in our life over our past. It's out with the old and in with the new. The love of God removes all of the old sin, shame, guilt, mistakes, failures from our lives. And straight away, I am sure that there would have to be at least one person here who will, it's just said in their head, oh, not my sin, not my shame. God's not that big. No, no, your sin is not that big. Our God is that big. And and that's the thing, like, he does that. He removes all those things. It overpowers the hold that all the old things used to have in our lives. However, it, it, it has to be cleaned up and a space is and space made for the new thing God wants to do in our lives. Um, and see, when God comes in the, into our lives, he, he does not simply overlook our sinful past. Instead, he forgives it. Now, again, this is part of the reason we don't come to God because it is like opening up that cupboard at home and and God, have a look in here. And we go, oh, no, please. And, and the thing is, 
I, I've never really watched. I've only seen the ads. But anyone, anyone sort of brave enough to say they've watched one of those hoarding shows where they come in and they take everything out of the house and they set it up in like a big shed area and they go, this is the stuff we got out of your house. And they have to throw it all away. Well, that, that's what it is. We kind of hoard our sin. We, we hoard our attitudes. We hoard our hurts and we shove them into this spiritual cupboard within our life and we keep it shut and we will let something out every now. Oh God, you want to forgive something? Here, oh, forgive that. Oh, I feel so much better. So much burdens off me. But the cupboard's still full of gunk. And, and Jesus wants to come in and have a look at it and go, oh, there's a lot here. And, and maybe we had our hang in, head in shame and go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Jesus. I know you can't fix this. I oh, know this is not a big deal. I got it. It's just a lot. And you should have given it to me earlier. You would have been so much better off if you'd given this to me earlier. And Jesus comes and he forgives that. When we confess our past to Jesus in order, we, we confess our past to Jesus in order to experience his radical forgiveness. And to confess means to agree with God. So God looks at our mess and he says, it's a mess. And then we say, yes, God, you are right. The thing is, we sometimes try to defend our mess. Well, it's not that bad, God. You should see the guy next door. You should see my husband. You should see the junk that he's got in his life. You should see my kids. You should see that person I work with. And God says, I, I, I do. I, I have seen it. And that doesn't change that your mess is still a mess. And, and, and we need to humble ourselves and say, yes, God, I agree with you. I confess that it is a problem. Um, <coughs> we confess, we acknowledge the old sinful ways as just that, old and outdated. When we confess, we agree to allow God to replace those sinful ways with godly ways that are, ne- are new and better. We go from telling lies to speaking truth, from being selfish to being selfless, from spreading gossip to offering encouragement, and from burning with anger to being filled with joy. When remodeling a house, it's important to remove any of the old rotten pieces and replace them with new, fresh materials. And if you do not take out the old parts, they are destined to come back and haunt you. It's like weeding. You don't get the roots out. It grows back. It looks good for a while, but it grows back. Exhibit A over here in the Gout Church Garden. Next working B, it'll be a job for anyone who wants to practice removing sin from their life. It's going to be a, a practical, spiritual ex- explanation of, of removing sin from your life as you weed our church garden. Um, that's just an adver- advertisement. Um, but, but the thing is, when we try to when we try to live as a new creation while holding on to our past vices, we end up frustrated and our relationship with God and others always suffers. We all we have to allow God to remove it and, and start afresh with a renewed heart and and instill within us a desire to live with Him. Psalm one hundred and three verse twelve says, "He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west." Now, the thing is, for some of us, we don't know where the east and west is. So we, we're already going to be, but God says, you know what? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm moving it from my memory. I'm, I'm doing something deliberate that, so that when I look at you, I don't see forgiven sins. I don't go, oh, these sins are being forgiven. These ones have been unforgiven. And, and so the total is this. God doesn't see us that way. He forgives our sins. 
We do not have to walk around defeated and full of shame anymore. If you are a Christian and a disciple of Christ, you can be confident in the fact that you have been forgiven and your sin has been removed. As far as the east is from the west, you are a new creation. Your past does not control you, nor your present, nor your future. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was ma- were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is all God's gracious gift. It is all from him. This means getting past our, pa- our past is not something we, we can do on our own. We cannot overcome our mistakes or make up for them by doing good things. God has reconciled us to himself. Now, that's, it's a big word, but it's basically, it's, it's used quite a bit. So let's make sure we understand it right, because reconciliation is, is basically to restore relationship, make the relationship right. Now, the thing is, when, if you have a, a, a bust up with a friend, maybe you argue over something and, 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 or something, and, and you, and you kind of, you stress each other out, all of a sudden you, there's a bit of, there's a bit of stuff between you. And so you, hey, can we catch up? And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. That's reconciliation. The thing is, between us and God, it looks a bit different because God has done all the work. We, we just confess and agree. Like, because God hasn't actually done anything wrong. God is like, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry that I did nothing wrong. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't even rub it in like that. Um, I think some of us would love to be able to do that in some of those relationships. They're like, like, don't, don't nod or anything, but maybe a discussion with your husband or wife going, I don't, I don't want to bring this up, but I said I, that was the correct answer and you didn't believe me. Okay. It's, it's probably not the way to go, but some of us would feel like doing it. But God is in that position. He doesn't have to apologize for anything, but at the same time, he makes everything right. He says, oh, that thing that you did and that thing that you thought and that thing that you feel and that and that and this, let's just wipe it clean and let's be good. That's the simple version of the cross. Like, that's very simple. But that's basically what God has done. He has made everything right between us. And so all of a sudden we don't have to live that way anymore and we can walk with God. That's the greatest understanding of, of reconciliation. And though our sin broke our relation with him, his love reigns over our sin and makes us right with him. So when we confess our sin against God and receive his forgiveness, we experience a restored relationship with him. Love reigns in us and we are made new. But not only that, but then we become conduits of this reigning love for others around us. So our second point today, God's love for us and God's love through us. This, this is the, this is the great commission at work and, 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 and in principle. Um, cause God is interested in the entire world being reconciled to himself. And again, okay, this might be my thinking process. So like judge me if you need to, but sometimes we go, Oh God, I'm deserving of your grace, but that person over there is not. That that guy that I work with, he is horrible. 
or I don't know how I do that one because that guy I work with is, yeah, I'm the only one here. But anyway, but, but the thing is, like, we kind of then sort of look at others and go, well, you're not deserving of God's love. And it's like what I said earlier, like we kind of sometimes, the church is full of messy people and you are one of them. But we don't want to think that way. I'm not a mess, everyone else is. But no, 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 we are all a mess and we need God's love and forgiveness. And so God wants his love to come alive in us so that through us, his love is extended to others. He doesn't want anyone to live a life weighed down by a sinful past or shackled by shame and, and guilt. God extended grace to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. And now we are to be ambassadors who implore others to confess their sin and to be reconciled to God as well. Now, this becomes a little bit more difficult in our world because um, a few months ago or a month or so ago, we are talking about truth. And some, sometimes when it comes to truth, we don't want to call sin, sin anymore. We want to call it something brand new. We want to kind of give it a fancy name. Like, and I remember years, years ago hearing a, a, an old comedian and he said, even back then they were, they were doing it. We changed the words to make them sound sort of more attractive to us. So we think of the old word adultery. It's just, it's just even when you say it, it's like, oh, you're condemned. Um, and, and they've cheated on me. But the word affair it actually sounds nice. I'm having a lovely affair. And so we, we, we change the way we talk about sin. And all of a sudden, we sort of put a paint job on some of the sins that God says these are damaging to the world. And all of a sudden, they're accepted as good. And that becomes a struggle for us because we don't want to just go out and sort of say, you are judged. But people cannot know God's love fully until they know the things that are preventing them from walking with God. And so we've got to do this in a loving way. We want people to be reconciled to God as well. A love for God in saying all this is better caught than taught. People want to see you live it out. We can tell people all day long about being a Christian and what it is like to have our past wiped clean. However, people do not want to have you lecture them. Like, like my kids don't like being lectured. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of us are, are well and truly past those days. It still may happen for us, but we, we get to the point we don't want to be lectured to. And they want to see us living it out. If, if they see the joy that comes from knowing God and the freedom from being united with Christ in your life, they may be drawn to a reconciled life with God as well. A love for God is contagious. Now, the thing is, sometimes I'll be talking with Christians and then I'll be talking to non-Christians. And sometimes the things that non-Christians complain about are the same things that we complain about. And sometimes... The non-Christians are more appreciative of life than we as Christians are. No, I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm just saying at times we, like, as I say to my kids, we are, we are ninja winders. We just, we winge to expert levels. And the thing is, when we do that, we don't see what God, the good that God is doing. We don't see how God loves us. All of a sudden, we look at what's going wrong in my life. And do you know what? We get to the point we can whinge about the most minute things. Someone cut me off in traffic. I'm five minutes late for work. The kids haven't done the washing up just yet. Maybe it's never that. The kids have never done the washing up. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, maybe it's an escalated thing. 
Like, we, we get outside and like, oh, it's raining too much. It's not raining enough. It's too hot. It's too cold. We will find something to whinge about. And in doing that, we don't thank God. We don't praise him. We don't see how he loves us. But if we can approach today, and, I, and again, I don't want us to sort of fake it till we make it in this. I want us to actually take time to actually reflect on what God is doing in our life. Are you stuck in traffic? Thank God you've got a car. Your car's not working? Thank God for exercise. Your kitchen's dirty? Thank God for takeout. But what I'm saying is that there are moments in our life that sometimes we miss completely because of, of our focus. And so we've got to, we've got to flip that on. Side. We need to be attractional to people outside the church. People need to see our joy. People need to see our endurance through struggles. People need to see our purpose and our hope in our life. It needs to come alive in us. And so we need to let God's love reign in our lives and it needs to be evident so that others can see it as well. People want to hear that it means something to you. When a person really loves something or someone, they cannot help but tell others about it. It just oozes out of them. When we really love God, his love truly reigns in our lives. Talking about it and celebrating his love for us should be a second nature. Tell your story. Share how your past has been forgiven. Let people know who you were before you met Jesus and how you met Jesus and who you are since that point in time. Jesus wants to make his appeal to the world through the way that we live and the things that we say. And it has been made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin, mistakes, brokenness, past, shame, guilt, and nailed it to the cross. He became sin on our behalf, and even though he was perfect and sinless, it was an act of love for him to die for us, even as we were sinners. And this is our third point today. Our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. There is an incredible exchange that takes place on the cross of Calvary. Jesus takes on our wrong way of living, and we were given the righteousness of God. The Greek meaning behind righteousness is the idea that we are approved in the eyes of God. Do you, know, you know, like you get that tick of approval, you get tick of approval on, on um, foods and stuff like that, or, or maybe in class for, for our little kids, they get a stamp in their book saying, great job, and we're like, oh, look, oh, yeah. We get a tick of approval on our lives to say we are righteous. Now, now again, don't sort of get a a big head on this because it's because of what Jesus has done that we get that tick of approval. But we still get a tick of approval. Jesus looks at us and he says, you are righteous. You are righteous and live in that righteousness. Maybe some of you in this room need to hear this today. If you are united with Christ, if you are in him by your profession of faith, then God does not see your sinful past he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees you as forgiven. It seems too good to be true, 
But that is the good news of the gospel. That is the gospel for messy people. Sometimes um, we can get into a, a, a position where we, we think just by doing this and this and this, life will work out. And the world kind of sells this idea. If you get a good job, you'll be able to get all the things in life. If you get all the things in life, you'll be happy. And so all of a sudden we, we hop on this. But in the meantime, we make mistakes and we kind of, we, 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 we feel life messed up. And so we kind of start the, the recipe again and try and get life right again. But it never works out. We need to understand that we, and, and, and experience the truth that God has forgiven our past by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is too good to be true. It's fast. Sometimes it's like we think it's far too simple to trust, but that's the reality. reality. Many of us think that we have to add something to it somehow. Maybe earning off, maybe earning like a brownie, um, brownie points with God. But it's not meant to be that way. Rather, we are invited to simply receive the love of God and allow it to reign in our lives. Then, and only then, will we experience the joy of freedom of the new life with his love reigning in it. Let's take, take some time to pray. Lord, we just thank you today that our past is, is no longer a point that defines us. It's no longer something that entraps us and, and entraps our present and our future. Um, because of the cross, all of a sudden, our past is has got a big stamp over it. Says that we are forgiven, we are made righteous, we are made holy because of the work on the cross. And I pray for for everyone here today that may feel trapped by hurts, by brokenness, by mistakes that they have made, by sin that has sort of like left a scar in their life and they feel that that's the only person that they'll ever be no lord you have forgiven us you have wiped the state clean let us live in that reality lord let us live with that truth in our hearts that we are at a point where we are able to experience the full life and joy and hope and peace of walking with god and in so doing let your love reign in our lives we pray this in your name. Amen.